Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So, uh, hey, we're, we are uh, working our way through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 10. The next section in this uh, chapter is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is one of my, uh, one of my favorite stories, favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, but that said, we're going to wait till next week to do that. This morning, I want to, uh, I want to uh, look at the four verses that precede the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is kind of the setup, if you will. This is, uh, this is Jesus uh, speaking into the situation that arises uh, that causes him to share that parable. As is very often the case, uh, he is questioned by a religious leader of the day, and they were always asking him questions, really, I, I think, with impure motives to try to trick him or trip him up or see who he really was. So he, he's asked this question and then his response back sort of forms the teaching. So if we could look at the passage in verses 25 to 28, uh, here's what happens. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So uh, I think the one thing I derive from that little exchange is that Christianity is not a solo flight. And I, I think really this is, and the reason I, I chose to just focus on these few verses this morning rather than get into the parable, is that I really believe this is the heart and soul of the gospel message. This is, this is the kingdom of God in a nutshell, if you will. Love God, love your neighbor. That, that's really what it comes down to. And Jesus says here, if you do that, you, you, you'll, you'll have eternal life. That's really all you have to do. That is the key to life uh, from the author of life. Love God, love your neighbor. It's really foundational to everything else. Uh, so this morning, in as much as this may be review for some of us, and in as much as it may be something that I think, well, yeah, you'll go, yeah, I know that, I get that. Uh, I want us to, to take a look at it again. And I really want to encourage you right now to just sort of open your heart a little bit and ask the Holy Spirit to really just impart to you a new depth of reality, a new depth of insight, a new depth of just his presence. We've been talking about his presence really throughout the morning today uh, into your heart as we look into this word. So I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll, we'll dive in. So Lord, we do. We ask that uh, you would take a passage of scripture that we're familiar with and that you would just cause it to breathe a new life and new spiritual life into our hearts today. 
that you would give us a, a, a new, a fresh, a deeper, a renewed understanding of what it means really to, to walk in the way of love today. Uh, we lift this up to you, Lord. We say, uh, come Holy Spirit. Your kingdom come, your will be done here today, right now in our midst, uh, as it is in heaven. Amen. So what, what Jesus is saying here really is this. If you, if you get life, if you derive life, if you get your purpose, your meaning, your value, your importance, uh, your identity from God's love, then the, the consequence of that is that you will respond by loving others. That'll be, the, that'll be the outflow of the input. When Jesus' love is poured into your heart, it'll come out into the hearts and lives of people around you. Uh, and that really is the whole program. That, that's what he's called us to do. It's what he's called us to be. It's really, uh, in a sense, all we need to know. A couple of questions I think are you know, important maybe to evaluate in, in light of that. First is, what, what is love? Love is... Uh, an ambiguous word in our language, uh, it, it means a lot of different things in different contexts. If you're, you have a friend who goes out and gets a new hairstyle, and you say to them, oh my gosh, I love your hair. Uh, you know, I, I say, uh, I love my dog. But I also say I love pizza. And I, I love pizza differently than I love my dog. Uh, I, I, I grew up, you know, in the 70s, and I remember uh, Jim Morrison in the doors singing, Hello, I love you, won't you tell me your... Nobody's going to sing that with me today? No, probably not. Maybe, let's... Let's not. But I think that's weird, right? That's a... What does that mean? Uh, so, love covers a lot of different dynamics in the English language, uh, Greek is, is a much more uh, polished language, if you will. There are actually four words in Greek uh, for the one word we have in English, love. The first of those words is storge. Storge is a Greek word that expresses affection or approval. And this is really what you would say when you say to your friend, I love your hair. You mean I like it. You know, it's nice. It, it, it makes me happy to see that. I might, if I say I love my car, uh, that's what I would mean when I say that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a happy feeling. It's a, it's a sense of approval. It's really nothing more than that. The second word is phileo. Phileo is a little deeper than that. This is, this is a, a brotherly love or a, a bond of deep friendship. Uh, Philadelphia in the United States, in the eastern part of the United States, is the city of brotherly love. And uh, this really expresses uh, an affection towards another person that's created through a mutual bond. And I think of this kind of love uh, probably in the context of maybe a military unit who has served together, uh, or maybe even a sports team. If you've ever been on a sports team and gone through like a playoff situation or something together, you, you form a bond and you work together. Any group of people or, or another person where maybe you've, you've d developed a real connection with one another uh, and, you, and you say, I love you, that's really what that would, would uh, be connotating there. The third word in Greek is eros. Eros is erotic love. Uh, it's passionate it's emotional, and it has a certain body chemistry involved with it as well. And it is, it is reserved for a specific context. And in Christianity, that context is marriage. That's the only place that eros should be expressed. 
Uh, but it is a, it is a different uh, meaning, a different category of love. The fourth and the last uh, Greek word for love, of course, we've all heard before is agape. Agape in Greek is the highest and noblest form of love. Uh, it's the love that God has for you and I. And it denotes sacrifice. Uh, with the word agape comes the understanding that uh, I put you first. And, and I'm willing to set my well-being aside on your behalf. And it's this love that Jesus says we, we are to receive from God and allow it to flow out back to God and then overflow into the lives of our neighbors. I gave us a little definition of agape, but in Scripture, when, when the New Testament talks about agape, it doesn't really give us a definition as much as it points to a person. We can ask, what does agape love look like? We say it looks like Jesus. If you go to the next fl- slide, 1 John three 16. Oh, go one more. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is the job description for a Christian. Right there. What's our job? That's it. I believe inherent in that little phrase is possibly the um, most important theological point that there is for us to know and comprehend and grasp in our own hearts and lives. And that is this, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit intrinsically is a community. Uh, We are created then in the image of God, and as such, we are created with an inherent need for community in our own lives. We cannot exist and we cannot fully comprehend the love that God has for us in isolation. It's not possible. That's why in Genesis chapter 1, God says, it's a weird phrase. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but he says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to himself, but he's not just schizo. God is understanding there's a community uh, living, existing within his own being. Father, Son, and Spirit are, are this connected group of people, connected group of spiritual beings together that are uh, working in tandem in in cooperation. And then he says in chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. So God created us in his image with the need for community. He said it's not good to be alone. God pours his image into us and then we, we reflect that image in the life of others. And let me say this. We cannot be, we cannot express the image of God in isolation on our own. We cannot do it. I, I can never be the picture uh, that someone needs to see of what, what Jesus looks like on the earth today. I can only be that in connection with you. The passage says this, that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And I think that's, a part of the verse that sometimes gets overlooked because it implies that we actually love ourselves. We have to do that first. I can't really love you effectively until I come to terms with the fact that I love myself, that God created me in his image and I am good. God loves me. We've got to settle that. I, I, I believe this. 
that so much of the violence, the, the, the angst that we see expressed today in our culture, in violence and in hatred and in racism, uh, it starts right there. There's a fundamental reality that's missing in the hearts and lives of so many people that has not been instilled for one reason or another. They do not have that inherent love for themselves. If you go to the next slide for me. In August of this year, there was a shooting at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. A young man committed this crime, killed 22 people and wounded 24 others, and he had in his possession a a document, it was a manifesto of white supremacy. He told police that arrested him he was targeting Mexicans. In response to that, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said this, there's a mother waiting for you. I know it. I know there's a teacher waiting for you saying, what happened to my kid? What happened to my friend? And we will always be here and hold space for you to come back. We will love you back. You are not too far gone. And I don't care what your politics are. That's the right answer. We can talk about politics. We can talk about gun control. We can talk about mental health. The only thing that is going to redeem the hearts and lives of people that are so trapped in that place of self-hatred is the love of Jesus Christ and the acceptance and welcome into a community of loving people. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference. I can't answer all of that today. I can say this, though. I can tell you guys, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You are so precious to him. You really are. I've used this phrase before. I want you to consider it for a moment. You are of inestimable value to him. There's no price tag on your life. And you are worthy to receive the agape love of God. And and let me say this. If you disagree with that, you disagree with God. He loves you. Before we can love God, before we can love others, we need to be willing recipients of the love of God in our own lives. And I I think we we need to understand at this point of the game that that is unilateral, okay? It's not reciprocal. At this point of the game, it doesn't matter. We, we can disobey this command. We can choose not to love God back. And it does not change one bit how much he loves us. He still loves you regardless. It's not based on our response. It's not based on anything except the heart and the nature of who God is and how he loves. That, that's, that's what makes it agape. That's what separates it from every other category of love. Now, in God's perfect plan, we, we would receive that love uh, and then it would, in fact, flow back out of us. I've, I've done the illustration before. Some of you remember a while back, I had a glass of water and I had Vineyard Vince and I dropped him in the water and it kind of, uh, when he went in the water, it sort of flowed out. And so the, the reality is in God's perfect plan, that love would be received, it would fill us up, and it would go back to him, and then it would stretch out to others. But we all know it doesn't always work that way, does it? Some people just don't respond. It just doesn't happen. In God's design, though, the human community becomes a reflection of the Trinity. We develop that level of connection that God has in himself, and we look like him, 
We love others with the same love he loves us. And in doing that, that's when his kingdom is revealed. We say, let your kingdom come and your will be done. That's how that happens, is when his love is expressed, the love that he has for us is expressed into the hearts and lives of others. We actually become, uh, Peter says, participants in the divine nature. If you go one more. Through these, and the these is in reference to the previous verse, which uh, talked about his glory and goodness. So through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. We actually enter into the nature of God when we receive his love. That's how this works. God has then given us, he's delegated to us, God, his purpose is to share everything he has and he gives us uh, the, the privilege, the benefit, the opportunity to have dominion over the earth, over the animals, over everything else and that's the kingdom of God. That's how it works. We're co-rulers, co-heirs with him of, of his creation. Look at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, them referring to the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is that? That's us. That all of them may be one father just as... You are in me and I am in you. They may be one just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. We are completely connected. We are, we are completely connected to who God is. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you know that God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus? You are, you are not second-class citizens, boys and girls. God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. Not leftovers. God, God is love, and that love is being poured out into your life right now as we speak this very moment. This gentleman asks Jesus this question. He responds and Jesus agrees. This is it. You're right. That's, that's the heart of it. That's the central commandment. Love, love God. Love yourself. Love your neighbors. And in that, that's the greatest law. And in that, the fullness of the law is really fulfilled. That's, that's the whole thing. That's all you have to do. Uh, and we see that, that is consistent throughout Scripture, if you would go one more for me. The passage we're looking at today in Luke 10, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Paul in Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And our friend James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. If we do that, everything else will be taken care of. One more, Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to walk in love? This is my interpretation. I'll, I'll acknowledge that, but this is what I think. It means... To walk in love means to love indiscriminately. 
We talk about unconditional love, and we love unconditionally, right? Which is true, but I, but I think there's a problem with that. And my problem with that is that sometimes I think we pick and choose who we love unconditionally. I understand I'm supposed to love unconditionally, so I love you unconditionally, and I love you unconditionally. You I'm not so sure about. But that's not what Jesus has called us to do. I think we're to love indiscri- walk in love is to love indiscriminately, meaning that it's not just directed towards those people that I want to love or that are easy to love, but it's directed toward everyone, including people that are really, really hard to love and that I don't really want to love at all. To walk in love, not allow uh, my own emotion, my own feeling, my own thinking to direct where that love is extended. 1 Corinthians 16, do everything in love. I, uh, I did a little study this week and I looked that word up, everything in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means everything. Pop quiz. You're having an argument with someone and you come to the realization that winning the argument is more important to you than loving the person you're arguing with, what do you do? Shut up. Winning the argument is not more important than loving the person you're arguing with. That's real life application to what the scripture is teaching us. That's where the rubber meets the road. Winning any argument is never more important than loving the person you're arguing with. Next verse, 1 Corinthians. Christ's love compels us. The motivation, the thing that drives us forward is the love of Jesus. It's never about winning. It's never about scoring points. It's always about being motivated by love. Next passage. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. One more. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That's a verse that I want to spend some time on in the future because I think it's profound in the understanding of how sin can be broken in the hearts and lives of people around us as we love them. Next verse. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow. Oh, no, go back one. There you go. Gosh, I'm just kidding. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Uh, I want to comment on that one. So sometimes in Christian circles, (laughs) how, how deep of a hole can I dig today? Sometimes in Christian circles, truth is placed at a higher premium than love. And sometimes I would say, I, I, I have experienced times when it seems to me as though someone is, is valuing truth so much that it's to the exclusion of love. And my response to that would be, that ain't right. See, I, I'm called to love you even if you have bad theology. Okay, Uh, look, the truth is, 
You can be pre-trib, post-trib, you can be Calvinist, you can be an open theist, you can be Wesleyan, charismatic, Pentecostal, wackadoodle, I don't care. I'm still called to love you. That's a higher priority than agreeing with you. You remember the passage that we looked at, our, our launching point, what did the man ask Jesus? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Not what must I believe to inherit eternal life. Look, you can get doctrine wrong to a degree. The, the fact is, if you, if you learn to walk in the love of Jesus, that's a higher calling. There's, um, we talk about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is believing the right things. And I'm not saying it's not important. It is. But I think equally important is orthopraxy. And orthopraxy is putting the right things into place. How do I live the truth that I, that I know? Next verse. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And Paul says here, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I can have a faith that moves mountains but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship, I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I think what he's saying here is that none of it matters. The gifts of the Spirit, faith, all of that is nothing if we don't learn to walk in love. I, I think this has some specific and kind of peculiar implications for those of us that live here in the great Pacific Northwest. Uh, there is inherent in this part of the country, and if you have lived here your whole life, you may not recognize as much as if you've moved here from somewhere else, but there is inherent in, in the Pacific Northwest a sort of rugged individualism. There's sort of this end of the Oregon Trail, this pioneer spirit, this thing that we can overcome. We can, we can take the land and we can make it happen on our own. And here, here's my response to that. That sounds good. It all sounds nice on the outside. But I'm going to say this. It's antithetical to the gospel. There's no place for individualism in the kingdom of God. You, you cannot, you, you absolutely cannot experience the fullness of God's love in isolation. It's not, it's not doable. You'll never know all that God has for you by yourself. Sometimes, I, I've heard this on occasion. Someone will say to me something to the effect of, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. And the first couple of times I heard that, it kind of bugged me, but I just sort of went, oh, okay. Uh, you know, the last time somebody said to me, my response is this, you don't get to make that call. Not only are you wrong, but you're selling yourself short. Because outside the context of church, you'll never know all the love that God has for you. You'll, you can never experience it. I'm sorry. You can watch all the worship services on YouTube you want all day long and sit home with your coffee and your Bible on your table. You'll never know the fullness of God's love. It just don't work that way. You're called to get your butt out of bed and get with a group of people that love Jesus equally and learn how to walk together in love with them. In addition to individualism, I think there's a couple other things that can be hindrances. Uh, another one, uh, this one, not, not so uh, 
isolated to the Northwest, really, this is uh, universal, but certainly uh, in our country, and that is materialism, the idea that, that my happiness comes from having the right stuff. If I get the right clothes, the right shoe, the right car, hot girlfriend or the trophy wife or both, whatever, that I'll be happy. That's where my happiness will come from. And, and uh, that, my friends, as they say, is a lie from the pit of hell. It just doesn't work that way. The, the reality is, if that's your focus, I want to tell you something. You'll never have enough stuff. Whatever shiny new thing you have today will grow dull, and you'll have to get another one tomorrow. I saw this movie a, a while ago. I don't know if you, anybody saw the movie uh, All the Money in the World about J. Paul Getty. Oh, it's brutal. Getty is the richest man in the world. It's in the 70s. At the time, he was the first billionaire. First, you know, today, there's billionaires all over the place. But Getty was the first one. Uh, and his grandson is kidnapped. And the kidnappers asked for $17 million. $17 million is a lot of money by any standard. But if you're a billionaire, it's a drop in the bucket. You'll make that much more and interest next month. So go to the next slide if you would. In the movie, Fletcher Chase is the detective that's been assigned to the case. And he approaches Getty and he says, I think you should consider paying the ransom. And John Paul Getty says, I have no money to spare. He's a billionaire. And Chase says, what would it take? I mean, what would it take for you to feel secure? And Getty says, more. Now look, that's extreme, but that is really a mindset that I think happens when you get locked into materialism. You always need something else. If we get meaning from stuff, um, not from God, you know, we'll never experience the depth of God's love because there isn't enough stuff in all the world to fill your heart. And look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having stuff, okay? I like stuff. Fun stuff is fun, nice stuff is nice, I like it all. But you cannot derive purpose and meaning and value and happiness in life from having stuff. There's a few other things that get in the way. One, one to me, is religion. Um, I have grown, <laughs> in my Christian experience, to despise religion. Uh, I, I think religion is responsible for people saying things like, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Because the fact is, what they're responding to is religion. They're not responding to being in a community of people that loves the way Jesus loves. If they experienced that, they would never say that. But that's not been their experience. They've experienced something else that doesn't look at all like who Jesus is. What they've experienced is religion that's judgmental, it's exclusive, and it's, it's, it's arrogant. Okay. Uh, why not? Don't send me an email. One last thing. And if the band wants to come back up and rescue me, I would invite you to do that at this point. But the last thing that I'm going to mention is this, and it's what I call tribalism, or we might label it nationalism. And it really is the idea that God loves us the most. 
God is on our side. Our people are the one that God loves the most. And again, in that thinking, we're missing it. Uh, Go ahead and go to the last slide if you would. Just a reminder that God so loved the world. And I did look that word up. The word world is cosmos. And it means the whole enchilada. That's the literal meaning of the word world. It means everything. That means God loves the Middle East as much as he loves us. God loves Latin America as much as he loves North America. God loves Africa and Asia and China. And God loves Yugoslavia and Russia. And people that we don't like, God loves them as much as he loves us. And we we can never come to that place where we believe that God loves us the most. Because it's not true. And it's not scripture. All right. Why don't you stand? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.